It's been so long since I have preached here, um, and I've only even been in this space one other time. And it's like, so cool. Hi, Doug and Laura. I'm sorry. I came in and saw the pictures that you guys have up on the, the glass, and that, like, I almost started crying. I'm like, that's so cool. We have come a long way as New Community Covenant Church. Amen. Amen. Um, when we were saying our church's mission statement today, you all may, some of you may not know or, or may not even think about this. I know I don't think about this every Sunday, but we meet in Bronzeville at the same time. And so at about the same time, every Sunday morning, when you all are saying your church's mission statement, we are saying our church's mission statement. And we are saying the same thing on the other side of Chicago. I think that's powerful. We are declaring all over this city that we are God's people, and this is a place where God's kingdom is coming, and we get to participate in that, and that's a good, good, good thing. Amen? Amen. So this morning, I have three texts um, that we're going to focus on. The first is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. The second is in Isaiah 64, verses 4 through 9. And the third comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. And so if you have your Bibles, you can start thumbing through and getting to those places. Over in Bronzeville, when we read God's word, we stand up. And so I'm going to invite you, as you are able, to stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read it to you, um, but please do follow along. And if it comes on the screen... That is a testimony to how amazing your tech team is because that happened this morning. So if you are thinking of volunteering, that is a great ministry to get involved with. (laughs) So beginning with the Philippians passage, starting with verse 5, it reads, And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Moving on to Isaiah 64, and beginning with the fourth verse, it reads, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like leaves, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are the works of your hands. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. And finally, turning to Matthew 7, beginning with verse 3, it reads, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, 
when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of God. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So the title of my sermon this morning is Counted Among Them. Um, If you wanted a quick summary of what I'm going to talk about, the take-home message for today, it is that you and I are counted among them. So then the question is, who is them? We'll get to that. Uh, I'm a bit of a political junkie. I uh, love, I listen to NPR. I constantly watch a lot of uh, sort of news shows on YouTube and CNN. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a problem. Kind of borderline addiction, but that's all right. You can pray for me about that. I'm like this all the time. But in an election year, it's like it goes into hyperdrive, right? (laughs) In this election year. (laughs) Jesus. So... (laughs) You, you can imagine what my life has been like and what I have been listening to and feeding myself. And at times it gets overwhelming. First, for me, it was, you know, Bernie versus Clinton and uh, then Trump, you know, versus humanity. And um, it's, it's, it's been an interesting time for me. Interesting time. This election, more than any other time in my life, has pulled out this part of me that I, I promise I try to reserve for what I consider the worst of humanity, only the worst of humanity. Normally, I'm not a judgmental person, but I have found myself being extremely judgmental. The words stupid and idiot have come out of my mouth more in the last year than probably in all of my adult life. I'm constantly, well, oh gosh, idiot, stupid. How stupid, how stupid can you be? That's my favorite question. How stupid can you be, right? It's not good. It's not cute and I, I should stop, but I can't help it. And I promise it will continue until we get to the end. Unless the end ends really poorly. And then I don't know. I make no promises. But between Hillary's, you know, emails and Trump's recent immigration speech in which we're deporting everybody in the first hour of his presidency, I am losing my mind. We are living right now in a city that is in a state in which um, our lawmakers have decided who needs budgets, right? Like, (laughs) who needs a budget? Why do we need to fund anything? I'm losing my mind. And in times like these, it becomes really, really, really easy for me to become just a little bit self-righteous. It becomes really, really, really easy for me to get very frustrated at those people. Those politicians, those leaders, those supporters, those people who are more concerned with their own ideas, their own agendas, their own careers, than they are the issues that I think matter most. It's easy for me to become a little bit focused on them out there. In our passages today, there's a common theme that I think speaks directly to this tendency that we all probably have, at least a little bit. And in the Matthew passage, we see a corrective to this attitude. Let's focus first on the Isaiah passage. In this text, we see Isaiah, a prophet of God, crying out to God for mercy on behalf of the people. Now, in the context of this passage, he is talking about of the Hebrew people, the Israelites, who were rebellious to a fault, to say the least, right? People who were constantly not doing the thing that God told them to do. And yet he counts himself 
among them. Throughout the passage, he uses pronouns like we and our. We have turned against you. We have been disobedient. Our sin. Think about that for a moment. Isaiah was redeemed of the Lord. He was set apart for God. This was a prophet. This was someone who absolutely followed God in a way that most of us will never experience, right? We follow God. We have our Bible and we read it. Isaiah heard directly from the Lord, you go here and say this. And that was his job. That was his mission. This is someone who was very much in tune with God. And yet throughout this passage, we have turned against you. No one cries out to you anymore. Our sin, we, our. I think that what Isaiah is doing here can be summed up perfectly. And the reason why he does it the way that he does it can be summed up perfectly in verse 6. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our, unrighteous, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. If you are more like me than Isaiah, you may at times feel yourself or find yourself feeling really secure in the fact that you are on the right side of particular, whatever issue it is that is your issue. You look at the world around you, you look at the news, you look at all the crazy and you think, how could they think like that? How could they be like that? How could they? How can those people not see the blatant racism in Donald Trump's decision to build a wall and in his first hour make sure all those people are out? How can they not see that? How could they deem the murder of a 12-year-old child with, who was playing with a toy gun justifiable? How could they? How could they think like that? If you are more like me than like Isaiah, you find yourself sometimes shaking your head at the world, shaking your head at those people and feeling just a touch self-righteous that you are not that ignorant, that you're not that racist, you're not that hateful, you're not that fill in the blank. But this is not the stance that Isaiah took. See, what he understood and expresses in this text and what we often miss is the fact that in the presence of God, our righteousness is like a filthy rag. You and I in this vast sea of sin and ignorance and fearfulness, we are among them. We are among them. How can that be? I love Jesus. I'm glad you asked. See, when we are trying to determine the measure of our own righteousness, your referent is not the person next to you. When you're trying to determine the measure of your goodness, of your rightness, of your righteousness, your referent is not what you see on the news. It's not the people, the person saying the most hateful, hate-filled thing out there. Nope, your referent is God. When you are trying to determine the, the measure of your righteousness, your referent is God. And next to God, every last one of us, all of our goodness, all of our righteousness is but a filthy rag. In the presence of the Lord, we see who we really are. We see what we really are. 
If we take the witness of scripture seriously, then we have to acknowledge that there is not one among us who is holy. You and I are hypocrites and liars. You and I are the kind of people who would be quick to see the speck in someone else's eye while being completely blinded to the plank in our own. We lose sight of how sinful we are when we focus on the sinfulness of someone else. And here's, here's the interesting catch about us, and particularly for folk like us who go to a church like this, a multiracial church that focuses on justice and racial righteousness and all of these wonderful things. Part of the reason why we can see the injustices that we do see is because of our selfishness and our self-centeredness. What do I mean? I'm an African-American woman. It's easy for me to see issues surrounding race. It's easy for me to see injustice about, uh, surrounding race and gender because they affect me and the people I love most in this world directly. I have come to be able to see injustice around issues affecting homosexual people in our community and issues affecting immigration, around immigration. I've come to be able to see those and care deeply about those because I've been blessed to be in communities with people for whom that's their primary thing. It affects them directly. And because I love them, I care about those issues. During worship, we sang the song, Hosanna. I love that song. Um, And one of the lyrics of that is, uh, break my heart for what breaks yours. That sounds really, really good. And that should be the cry of our heart. But here's, here's the thing. Our hearts don't have the capacity to be broken in the way that God's heart can be broken. We can't handle that. And in God's grace and in his mercy towards us, one of the ways that he allows us to participate in the kingdom is that he gives us glimpses of things to be broken for. Never take for granted the spaces that God has led you into. There's a reason you're there. You're there to be a light and you're also there to see some things that maybe you didn't see before. When we sit in communities like this, it's awesome because we get to see things we didn't see before and our hearts can be broken a little bit more. But even that, It happens because we're selfish, (laughs) because we're self-centered. And I think that this is what Isaiah means when he says that our righteousness is like a filthy rag. We know from the larger book of Isaiah and from the witness of scripture in general, Isaiah is not at all saying there's no point in doing good things. Don't even try it. There's no point in trying to live a righteous life. Uh, Don't even, no. The whole point of Isaiah's ministry was constantly going to the people and saying, wake up, what are you doing? Feed the orphan, take care of the widow, right? He was constantly talking about justice and living in a righteous way. The point is not to say, no, 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 don't, don't worry about it. You can't, you can't do righteous things. You can't do good things. No. What he's trying to say is that next to the holy God, our right actions are about as good as a filthy rag. Don't ever get so caught up in your own goodness that you lose sight of who God is and who you really are. Why does this matter? Why does any of this matter? Being on the right side of an issue does very little to advance justice in this world. If your primary concern is being right, not only will you do little to advance justice in this world, I can almost guarantee you that you will contribute to injustice. You will blindly contribute to injustice on a daily basis and will be none the wiser. Right is seductive. 
Right makes us feel good about ourselves. It makes us feel good about the people we choose to associate with. It makes us feel good about the church we decided to go to. We get to say, I go to a multiracial church. My church participated in fill in the blank social justice act. We have a food pantry and a warm, right? Right makes us feel good. Right makes us believe that we are more informed, more loving, more in love with Jesus than those people. Right helps us to focus on the speck in our neighbor's eyes. And it makes us completely blind to the plank in our own. Right, being concerned with being on the right side of an issue, blinds us to the ways that we on a regular basis contribute to the injustice, the oppression of other people. And that's all of us. Whatever your race is, whatever your gender is, whatever your sexual orientation is, all of us contribute in some way on a regular basis to the oppression of someone else. And being overly concerned with right will blind you to that. But see, Isaiah saw correctly. Isaiah saw that he was one among. Not set apart, not better than, he was counted as one among. Right masquerades as righteousness. And you and I get seduced into believing that we have attained it. We are called to be like Isaiah. As Paul tells us in the Philippians passage, our example is Christ. And Jesus Christ, the most righteous and right one who has ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus Christ chose to take on flesh and count himself as one among If Jesus Christ didn't talk about those people, if Jesus Christ chose to walk this earth and be like us, how, where do we get off? We should not ever again utter anything about those stupid, ignorant, racist, hateful, fearful people. Now, let me be clear. I am not in any way, shape, form, or fashion pushing some sort of postmodern agenda where I don't believe there's a such thing as right, right? I don't believe that there are just little truths out there and then no big truth. Your own personal reality is, that's you. Nope, I don't, I reject that in the name of Jesus. I believe that black lives matter and I'm not gonna be okay if you say to me, well, that might be true for you, but for me, no, I believe all lives matter. No. And if that offended you, you can talk to me afterwards. So this is absolutely not that. There are right ways to be in the world and there are wrong ways to be in the world. But what I am saying is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not called to be focused on right. We are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that when we end up on the right side of an issue, we recognize that we were led there by God. And in that place, our posture isn't to be puffed up and say, ha ha, I'm right and you are wrong. Why don't you get with the, nope. We ought to be the first people in that space to humble ourselves and pray. We ought to be the first people in those spaces to be seeking God to see, Lord, show me my own heart and then to have an attitude of repentance. Every last one of us has something to repent for when it comes to justice and injustice. It doesn't mean that there are not right ways to be or wrong ways to be in the world. It means that our focus is on being on the side of God. 
Our focus is seeking his face. Our focus should be following him because he will lead you in the path of righteousness. Right masquerades as righteousness. And too often you and I get seduced into believing that we have attained it. But if your posture in this world is not repentance and humility, then I am here to tell you today you have not attained it. I am here to tell myself today, you have not attained it. None of us, not one is holy. Our pursuit as followers of Jesus Christ should be to be, to have a heart like Jesus Christ and trust that he will lead us to the right. My husband, Carlos, and I uh, do premarital counseling for people in our church. And one lesson from our own marriage that we always share when we do counseling um, is, is the best way to end an argument. So one thing that we have found over the years is whenever you find yourself in an argument, when you find yourself in a heated disagreement with your spouse, it is good to take a moment to separate and to pray. Now, I have found it to be the case that Every time, and I don't use every lightly because I don't really think that there's very few things that are true all of the time, but I honestly cannot recall a moment when this wasn't the case. Every single time that I have gone to God and prayed about some disagreement we were having, and you know, my prayers are not, they don't, that sounds really righteous, right? Like, I pray. No, often my prayers are, Jesus. <laughs> Get your son, get your son, get your son. Right? So no, I don't, I don't want to mislead you into believing that I'm holier than I am. No. But every single time that I pray about an issue that we are having, what God does is he shows me where I am wrong. Every time. He shows me where I misunderstood. He shows me where I was not sensitive or compassionate enough. He shows me where I might be being overly sensitive every single time. Now, that does not mean that every time we argue, I'm wrong. I don't want you to walk away here thinking that at all. It does not mean that. That's not the case at all. But the same thing happens to my husband. Carlos will go and he prays and God will show him where he was wrong, where he was insensitive. And the place that we get led to is a place where we can apologize and we can hear each other more clearly. Now, often in Christian communities, we talk about marriage like it is just this wholly other kind of relationship. There's nothing else in the world like it. Okay. Um, Sure. You know, yes, husbands and wives, when they get married, we become one flesh, right? But you and I, when we are in the body of Christ, we've been made one, right? We are one body in Jesus Christ. We tell people all the time, if you want to know how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, it's kind of the same instructions for how to be a good Christian in general, right? That the Bible is full of insights and wisdom about what, what it means for us to live, how we ought to be. Marriage is not that different. And this is important. Just like when my husband and I argue and we go off and pray, that ought to be what we all do. When you see that thing on the news, and I'm talking to myself, when Donald Trump makes another asinine comment, because he will, I bet he's doing it right now, and I'm going to hear about it when I get back in my car. When he does that, (laughs) the posture is not to rail against. The posture is not to condemn or to go off on how, now he is ignorant. So he's ignorant. There's ignorance in the world. But the posture is always to pray, 
to seek God. Where should I be, Lord? What do I do in this space? How do I speak? How do I orient myself? The goal is never to be right. The goal is reconciliation. It's easy to see that when we talk about a relationship between a husband and wife. It might even be easy to see that if we were talking about larger relationships in the church. But that's the case for us in the world. As ambassadors of Christ, our goal is to live as reconciled people and to constantly point other people to a reconciling God. You can't do that by being puffed up and proud because you got it right. That's not the posture. You and I, no matter how smart, good, kind, right we think we are, we are no better than those people. We are incapable of seeing ourselves accurately. And so we should always be relying on the Holy Spirit to show us ourselves. Don't ever get so caught up in being right that you think you've attained righteousness. You and I are like King David when he's having that conversation with Nathan. And Nathan tells him the parable about the two men, the rich man and the poor man, and the rich man who stole the poor man's lamb. David becomes enraged. How dare someone do that? He couldn't believe the injustice. This poor man loved his little lamb, and that rich man who could go and get as many as he wanted took the poor. How dare he? He wanted justice. And David was right, but he was not righteous. He could not see that his sin was far worse than what Nathan was talking about in a parable. He couldn't see himself in that story. That's how we are. It's easy to look at the world and see all that is wrong. It's a little bit more difficult to look at yourself and see the places that you contribute to that wrong every single day. In Bronzeville um, right now, we are in a neighborhood that is um, slowly transitioning. It's easy for us to believe That when we move in, that we're doing this right and good thing. We're going to live in the neighborhood. We're going to be here for the community. It's harder to see how that might in it of itself be contributing to some injustices. Those of you who are homeowners like myself, it's easy to, to think, yes, my property values are going up. Hallelujah. It's harder to ask questions about how my property values going up, what that means for the people who live next to me for the people who've been there and who were there before I got there. It might be easy for you to send your child to one of the great public schools and think, yes, I'm doing something good. I'm supporting our public schools. It might be a little harder to ask questions about why this public school is a wonderful public school and my child will get a first-class education here, but some child just a little ways away will barely be able to read when they graduate. It's easy to see the sin and the unrighteousness and the injustice out there that those people contribute to. It's sometimes harder to see our own. But here's the good news, and it is good news. I have become convinced that part of the reason why you and I shy away from our own unrighteousness, why we get so seduced by being right, part of the reason why it's so seductive is because most Christians walk around carrying a whole lot of shame. You're ashamed of those racist, sexist, homophobic thoughts that you have. You're ashamed of the places that you came from. We carry so much baggage, so much shame. 
The good news is that Jesus Christ died on a cross to free us from that. You don't have to be ashamed of anything. There's absolutely nothing in your life. There's no thought that you've had. There's no thing that you've done that in the hands of Christ cannot be used to glorify his name and bless someone else. You don't have to be ashamed of anything. And that means you don't have to be fearful of any label someone might want to attach to you. And so you don't have to be seduced by right. You get to live into righteousness. We don't have to be seduced by right because we can let go of shame. We can let go of fear. We can turn to the cross of repentance and God will lead us in the path of righteousness every single time. You and I get to live like people who are winners. We get to live victoriously because the victory has been won. He did it on a cross. It's so easy to say that. It's sometimes hard for us to believe it. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we will start to live like the people of God. We will start to believe the truth of the gospel, which is that on the cross, sin and death were defeated. Jesus got up from the grave. Amen? He got up from the grave. He's not still in the tomb, and that means you get to get up. You can get up from your place of shame. You can get up from your place of fear. You don't have to be seduced by right masquerading as righteousness. Because if you know Jesus, if you confess him as your Lord and your Savior, you get to actually live righteously. Amen? So I'm going to close in prayer. And my prayer for you and for I is that we would live like the people of God that we would believe what the Bible says about us. One of my favorite songs, and it's such a, it's like a little kid song, but Jesus loves me, this I know. Anytime I get into those spaces where I'm feeling ashamed of something that I've done or I've thought, when I'm feeling like, oh gosh, I'm just awful. One of the songs that I will always sing to myself is Jesus loves me, this I know. How do I know it? For the Bible tells me so. For the Bible tells me so. If you believe that it's the word of God, then you need to believe the truth that it says about you. If you believe that it's the word of God, then you need to believe that when it tells you that Jesus Christ, that God the Father, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit chose to take on flesh, come to earth, and die a brutal death for you and for me to conquer sin and death so that you and I could actually live free, so that you and I could actually achieve righteousness. If it tells you that, then you ought to believe it. Jesus. <laughs> Help us believe it, oh God. Help us believe what the Bible says of you, what it says of us. Father, in this space right now, we humbly bow down. We surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our lives to you. And Lord, we repent. We have not seen the plank in our own eye. 
We repent for every moment and every time that we have been so focused on what someone else is doing, how wrong they are. We repent for every time that we have taken comfort in our ability to identify how wrong they are. We repent now. We repent for not seeing our own sin. We repent for not turning to you. And so, Father, in this space, that's what we do. We are turning to you, oh God. Help us to be people who are unafraid. Help us to be people who live free. Help us to be people who are not ashamed, who are not bound by chains that you died to set us free from. God, you came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, Lord. So please forgive us for every time we've chosen something less than that. And help us now to turn to you, to return to you, to see your face, to turn from our wicked ways, and to know and trust and believe that you will hear from heaven and you will heal our land. God, it is our desire to be righteous. It is not our desire to just be right. It is our desire to be agents of change in this world. It is our desire to be your ambassadors, to point people to a holy God who loves them dearly, who gave all for them. So Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to to be the people you've called us to be and to live the way you've called us to live. To live in your sacrifice for us. Lord, and we will be careful to give you all of the praise, all of the glory, because you and you alone are worthy. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.